Hello, and welcome to another episode of EPR with your favorite environmental nerds, Nick and Laura. On today's episode, we will give our shout outs. Nick and I discuss upcoming events for NAEP, and we're super excited to talk to Justin Krebs. He's vice president and offshore wind program manager at AKRF, fish ecologist and all around interesting guy. He's also a great friend. Yeah, yeah. And he's had a, he told us a harrowing story about being almost struck by lightning. It's, you, I have not been able to sleep at night since I heard it. So it's, <laughs> it's good. Well, I have another story I can share with you about that. <laughs> good. And finally, on this day in science in 1943, the hallucinogenic, <laughs> it's a great word, effect go. of the drug LSD. Oh, here we go. Lysergenic yeah. acid diethylthiamide was first <laughs> observed. Swiss chemist Albert Hoffman had synthesized the drug five years earlier, but hopes of its use for treating respiratory problems weren't fulfilled and they shelved it. On this day, however, he accidentally absorbed some of it through his skin and that <laughs> from touching the container and then it affected his nervous system so that he became dizzy with hallucinations and wow. What a way the rest to discover that. Is history. Right. <laughs> I mean, just so everyone knows, I am trying to make these very hard for Laura because uh, I'm writing these. So that's that's what's happening right there. <laughs> this day in complicated language history. Yeah. Da-da-da. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Hit that music. Now it's time for our shout outs for the day. Congratulations to Rob Scrafford, a PE at Gannon Fleming in the city of Baltimore for receiving an ACEC Maryland Chapter Merit Award for the Herring Run Trail Emergency Bank and Stream Restoration Project. The project design transformed a hazardous, unstable area adjacent to a road into an inviting pathway while providing environmental protection for the Chesapeake Bay. Hey, personal favorite. This is a great project for both the community, and the environment. Kudos to Rob and the team for a job well done. And thanks to Courtney Arena for submitting that shout out. Yeah, absolutely. If you do want to get your shout outs on the show, please be sure to share your promotions, new jobs, and professional project awards with us. And we'll put them out here. Don't forget the NAEP conference is going to be happening May 17th through the 20th. It's getting a little closer. Registration is now live. So please do sign up. It's going to be a really great, great thing. Go check it out, naap.org, and register today. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode, head on over to environmentalprofessionalsradio.com and check out our sponsor form for details. Let's get to our segment. Okay, Laura, uh, today I'd like to talk a little bit about NAEP. I don't know. Did you see our membership stats email come through? I did not. <laughs> was that through the yeah. email or, or our base camp? It's through base camp. It's through base camp. So I know it's, it would, please do check okay, it out. I'll go back uh, and check. We do have our membership data, which is really cool. Yeah. And, so, what uh, did so yeah, we've actually increased membership every month this year, which is really good. And I think awesome. uh, one of my favorite parts about it is seeing some new members, like, you know, like our younger membership is the highest I think it's been in, in the year which is really cool. So I love to see that. And hopefully that trend's going to continue. But for those of us, those of you that are new members or you're just listening for the first time, we figured it was a good time to talk through some of what NAEP does and what they have to offer coming up in you know the, the coming months. Yeah, I think it's a great time just to revisit for all of our members because there's so much that goes on and, I, and it's hard to keep yeah. track of it all. So 
I think the first thing we want to talk about, though, is the next webinar. So we have a webinar series throughout the year. We try to do eight to 10 of them. Some are ones that are annual and then other ones are topic based. Two of them are typically leadership ones. So our next one is a leadership webinar, which is hosted by our dear Ron Deverman, who is our leadership committee lead and fellow for NAEP and guests. So yeah. Uh, And also all around great guy and poet. So you have that to look forward to. But yeah, sneak peek from him on putting this leadership webinar together. So you can see Ron in action before he will be on his episode of EPR by watching the next webinar called Belonging Leadership When Guiding Through Transition. And that's going to be April 29th from 12 to 1.30 Pacific time and 3 to 4.30 Eastern time. Our guests are going to be Leticia Hall Cannon, who is a friend of mine. She's actually a program quality engineer All right. and a site diversity and inclusion lead with Lucky Martin. She's That's awesome. cool. Yeah. yeah. Geez. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, Ali Mur, Mir, we'll learn how to say that on the webinar, is the <laughs> vice president and West Region Planning Director of STV. So I guess we also get to meet Ron's boss. Wow. <laughs> That's exciting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure, Ron. Jeez. And the last one you've already met. So Austi Davis will be joining again hey. on our webinar. So yay. That's awesome. If you haven't listened to her episode, go back and check that out. Yeah, and then go check out this free leadership webinar on April 29th. That's awesome. So it's great to hear. And like I say, I know webinars are a big thing for NAEP. So what goes into planning a webinar? Take me through the process. Yeah, that's a great question. And anyone listening, we have lots of committees with NAEP and all our new members. If you want to volunteer, start networking, have an excuse to be hobnobbing and meeting other environmental professionals, we encourage you to go onto the website and submit a committee interest. And yeah, the webinars... Most of it is just planning ahead. And so we have a committee and we meet. Currently, we meet twice a year. I'm a co-lead on the education committee with Marie Campbell. Um, She handles, she takes the heavy lifting on the advanced workshops. Gotcha. And then I push, kick the cans on the webinars. Hmm. We get some of our board members and heavy committee members to volunteer to take the lead on webinar topics. And then it's up to them to kind of corral the speakers I try to make sure they get the dates on the calendar as soon as possible. And then we do the collecting of headshots and bios and the description and all that good stuff. So, you know, it's really great opportunity for someone who wants to build their project management skills. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. That's good to hear. Like, I'm wondering too, like, if there's somebody that has an idea, right? Somebody that's listening, it's like, hey, I have a really good idea for a webinar. How do they submit? Can they submit one to the committee? That's a great question. Yeah, you can submit topic ideas if you send it in through the website. The NAP office will forward inquiries like that to us. We are scheduled out several months in advance with our topic ideas, but we're always you know, happy to put different ideas on the table and we'll present them to the committee and see where they fit in. We have a couple of webinars that are standard. So we've got after the conference, we always do the case law and we always do a legislative update. And then now we have the Esri partnership. So that will be another one coming up probably after those two later this year. And in addition to that, we have a partnership with ACRA, the American Culture Resources Association. So we also have a partner webinar with them. And um, you can buy me a Coke for saying that right too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we give give Laura all the hard words because we both know I can't say them. That's really what it is. But yeah, you know, so the schedule for the NAEP conference, which we've talked about 
quite a bit on the show already, is out now. And I have to say it was, you know, I was on the committee trying to find, you know, a good balance of, you know, content that we have and to fit in the timeframes that we have them. You know, it was a smaller field than it normally is for a conference. And we got a lot of great submissions. And, you know, our acceptance rate this year was about 40%, which is, is, you know, it's low. And there's an opportunity there for those of you listening that maybe if you didn't have your content make the conference program, we would still love to hear you in webinars or in other avenues, writing blog posts or whatever else it would be. So I do want to encourage people to do that too. Yeah, I think the best way for that is for people to write for the journal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it'd be great. There's a lot of really good articles that, and there's always a need for good articles there. So please do take those opportunities to do that because we do want to hear from you. So we've got more younger members than we've had in the past. So what are ways they can be involved then within AAP? That's a great question. Our webinars are often a little pricey. And I think that's because they're technical webinars. We're asking right. experts from the industry to come and give their time. And, you know, they're volunteering, but then that those fees, you know, help us run the association. And, yeah. um, but students are able to now come to webinars for free. So definitely as a student, you want to join mm-hmm. and then come to the webinars. And then I always tell people when you are networking or trying to network, watch a webinar, listen to who's talking, look at who's commenting, and then connect with them later. If they said something that you're interested in or they work in a position that you're interested in, you don't need much of a connection or excuse to reach out. You just say, hey, I'm a new student in NAAP and I saw you say this and or I like what you do. Can I get a few minutes of your time? And that's all the connection that you need. And for those of you who are NAAP members listening, who are (laughs) more senior in your careers, that's your job (laughs) as an NAAP member. It's part of your role to nurture our future and emerging leaders. So be open to that when they do, if someone does reach out to you. We're seeking volunteers for all of our committees. Nick and I would love to have volunteers to help us with the podcast. So just reach out either to us or through the NAP website. And like I said, those get forwarded and then you can write for the NEPA practice bulletin, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lots of different ways and... You know, the first thing is just saying, reaching out and just maybe saying, I'd like to do something, but I don't know what. Right. So, yeah. So and don't you be join your local out. chapters. That's the other thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. We've got so many across the country. So it's, please, you know, just take the time to get involved. Right. And if you're still a student, start a chapter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. There's no holding you back. There's no excuses. We don't let excuses on this show. So. <laughs> All right, Laura, that was great. Let's go ahead and uh, get to Justin. Sounds good. All right. Super excited today to have a colleague and friend, Justin Krebs, here with us. Justin is the vice president of Offshore Wind with AKRF. And I met you, I don't even know how long ago, probably kind of through Ed Sherwood, who I think is probably going to give me heck for having you on here before him. (laughs) 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 And I know that the three of us, we met, you know, when we were earlier on in our careers and you were in fisheries. It's hard for me to just wrap my head around being old enough to now be like vice president of something that sounds so magical as offshore wind <laughs> programs. And, but it's awesome to have you here. So I'd like love for you to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more what you do. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Lauren, Nick. Yeah. Uh, so we did. We met through Ed Sherwood, 
I don't remember what year that was, but <laughs> anyway, I'm an environmental consultant and I have a background in fish ecology. I work for a, a firm called AKRF, been with the company for about 10 years. I uh, do a lot of environmental permitting work, a lot of EIS writing, essential fish habitat assessments, yeah. and Endangered Species Act consultations. As a fish ecologist, most of my work involves projects that are either in the water or along the waterfront. And I work with clients on transportation infrastructure projects, particularly bridges over water, waterfront development, and coastal resiliency projects. done a couple of those recently, and I'm working on one now. And I work for utilities clients as well including offshore wind, as Laura mentioned, and also hydropower clients. I'm offshore wind program manager at AKRF, although I might change my title to vice president of offshore wind. We don't really have vice presidents of anything. We're just okay. vice president. <laughs> but but it, it is an impressive sounding title, so I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grant it to you. <laughs> thank you. It's been bestowed upon me. I'm actively in that role as offshore wind program manager. I'm actively supporting offshore wind clients and our, our teaming partners on you know the various stages of these offshore wind projects that are have been under development for the last couple of years. We do strategic planning and permitting for them. We develop the construction operations plans for the wind farms that are required as part of the federal permitting process. We help with writing the environmental impact statements so that they can get federal approval to be built. And I do business development and marketing for the offshore wind work. So I'm an aquatic guy. I do fish. Most of my work involves the water. I don't really do too much work on land. And lately, I've been focused on offshore wind projects and, and coastal resiliency. Right. Awesome. So how did yeah. you get into fish ecology? What drew you to that? <laughs> so what did I want to be when I grew up, basically? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've known that I wanted to be a marine biologist since I was about 11 years old. And that brings me a great sense of <laughs> yeah, inner peace, I guess, because I never really had to worry about what I wanted to be. Um, yeah. My sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Stutz, thank you, Mrs. Stutz, did uh, this annual, <laughs> she did this annual field trip where she took a whole herd of sixth graders on an overnight trip to Chincoteague, Virginia to experience the salt marshes and, and yeah. mud and mosquitoes. Yeah. And that trip made such an impression on me as, as an 11 year old that I knew that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> and from that point on, from sixth grade on, that was kind of my focus. You know, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to the history classes and you know, social studies and, and the classes that, that I didn't think directly applied to being a marine biologist. Um, interestingly enough, when I moved back up north from Florida in 2010, I got in touch with Mrs. Stutz to see if she was still <laughs> doing this trip. And, you know, yeah. keep in mind, this was 25 years later. And, you know, I, I didn't think she was still doing it. But believe it or not, she's still running that trip. That's um, <laughs> so I got involved with the trip as one of the teachers. And I've done, that's so cool. you know, that's yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I got to, you know, I got to to give back to those kids, and you know, unfortunately, the 2020 trip had to be canceled um, nice. because of the pandemic. But we're coming up on 50 years that she's wow. done this trip. I mean, it's that's amazing. It's, it influenced several generations of, of yeah. kids. It's and, a great place. Yeah, it's a great place to be. I don't know uh, for those. Sounds that like don't Nick know, is familiar with this place. <laughs> like the Eastern Shore. It like, sounds, uh, sounds like it. Yeah. So I grew up in Virginia, you know, so Eastern Shore, okay. um, yeah, you know. really interesting. But like you're saying, and just so people understand, like going to here, it's a salt marsh. And a salt marsh is a really unique place for a six-year-old to fall in love, I think, with, with the environment. It is, <laughs> it's, it smells right. crazy. It is mucky yeah. and wild. So that's really impressive. And I love that you're doing that. Thanks. Yeah, I, so cool. my, my goal is 
if I can just inspire one of those kids to be a marine biologist to ensure that I have a replacement when I retire, then my job's done. <laughs> that's great. My career has been a success. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I would guess that's happening. <laughs> yeah. When you talk about like where you, your background, one thing that you mentioned was essential fish habitat. You know, and I know that doesn't come mm-hmm. up all the time with NEPA. It's really just a coastal thing. So maybe you can right. tell us a little bit about when that shows up, what it is, and how you handle it. So essential fish habitat is defined, and I'm going to get into the technical details, try to keep it fun, but uh, essential fish habitat is part of, it's defined by the Magnuson-Stevens Fishery Conservation Act. And so it's a federal requirement for coastal projects that have some sort of federal involvement, you know, funding or federal sponsorship to look at the potential impacts of the development that's going to happen, you know, either in the wetlands or directly in the water in areas that are designated as essential for the reproduction, growth, and population sustainability for various species. And these are all species that have fishery value. So species like bluefish and tautog, you know, naming the, the fish from the, the Northeast. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so it's funny you said not all NEPA projects involve that. And I guess that's true. I just, my focus is on the water. So yeah. every NEPA project yeah. that I work on pretty much deals with yeah. that. <laughs> but you did your doctorate on coastal development versus like fish mangrove habitat and the relationship between them. And in my guess would be that they're kind of not great for each other. I don't know. Is that right? Or am I totally off? And somehow it's actually can be beneficial. It, I mean, it, it really depends on how the development is carried out in the watershed and, you know, how close it gets to the actual, the estuary or the tidal creek. And yeah, the research that I did for my PhD was on how land use in the surrounding watershed affects the quality of fish habitat in these tidal creeks and man-made mosquito ditches as well. Um, mm. It was, was a habitat that I looked at. But Really, what it comes down to is the connection between the watershed and the fish habitat. So, more urbanized watersheds that have a lot of impervious surface, you know, roads, roofs, and parking lots that allow water to run directly off into the creek have a bigger impact on water quality and, and quality of the fish habitat in the creeks. Whereas, undeveloped watersheds, you know, you get a lot more percolation of rainfall down into the, the groundwater. It doesn't run directly off and carry all the you know, the oil and stuff from traffic on the roads down into the fertilizer from yards and things like that into the creeks. The last time that I saw you was at the NAP conference, not last year, the year before, and presenting, right? You were presenting with AKRF as a team. Was that what you weren't presenting on that? What were you presenting on? I wasn't presenting on that. No, we did have kind of a, a panel presentation. It was five or six of us that were presenting on various aspects of federal permitting for the Tappan Zee Bridge project. Um, and it was, yeah. Uh, so it was a bunch of us from AKRF, but then we also had one of the regulators from Federal Highway to present the federal agency side of the project. That was a big project that I started at AKRF in 2011, coming up on 10 years. And in 2012, we started on the EIS for that project and we did the permitting. That was in 2012. We got federal approval to go ahead on the project in 20, end of 2012. And then AKRF supported the Thruway Authority with the environmental monitoring and mitigation for that project during construction of the new bridge, which is called the, now the Governor Mario M. Cuomo Bridge, uh, which crosses the Hudson River. And we also helped with demolition of the old Tappan Zee Bridge. I was one of the designated biologists for the Thruway Authority, 
And my role was specifically to lead the design and implementation of the sturgeon conservation research program and also manage the sturgeon monitoring during construction and demolition of the project. So we're, believe it or not, we're still wrapping that project up. It's been yeah. 10 years. Things, you know, there are just a few things that need to be taken care of before we can officially close out the project and turn off the lights and close the door. Nice. Well, that'll feel good. So 10 years with, with AKRF, which is so crazy. AKRF is, I mean, they're not a name that's hugely known, but they're a big company, right? We're actually not a big company. We're a relatively okay. small company. We have about 350 people. We've been around for a long time, though. Been around for 40 years. We do have a, a big presence in New York City, which is where our headquarters is. That's where we started. Our main office is on Park Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, and we work for clients all over the city. I think we work on, we're well known by the city agencies for work that we've done around the city. You know, Tappan Zee Bridge was one of our big signature projects. We're also working on the new Penn Station. And so we, you know, all the big signature projects around the city have some sort of AKRF involvement. All right. So little company, big presence. That's nice. <laughs> little yeah. little company. Yeah, we're we're the smallest of the big companies. There you go. Is what, <laughs> yeah. what one of my coworkers said the other day. <laughs> yeah. And you were recently promoted to vice president in your new position. I was. <laughs> Congrat- I just want to say congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's a career milestone for sure. And it's funny because when I started at AKRF about 10 years ago, still finishing my PhD, and trying to figure out the next steps of my career. Consulting seemed like a good fit. My wife uh, has been a consultant longer than I have, and it always seemed like uh, an interesting job. But I was also interested in you know, research positions with universities or with mm-hmm. federal agencies like the National Marine Fishery Service. But you know, during the first few years as a consultant with AKRF, I did a lot of technical work and data analysis and impact assessment. And that's, uh, it was a lot of very similar to what I was doing in my prior jobs. And it's really what I enjoy doing, crunching the numbers and figuring out the answers. And I wasn't really that interested in project management or managing staff or business development. But as I got more comfortable as a consultant, it just seemed to be a natural progression. And I've gotten to the point where I really enjoy the business development and the marketing and meeting people and talking about my work. And I still do some technical work, maybe 30 to 40% of my time is, is technical work, but a lot of it is, you know, the managing our offshore wind clients and trying to build those services at AKRF and, you know, the marketing work and stuff. And I seem to be pretty good at it. So it's not, not ever something I, I really thought I would be good at, but yeah. no, it's, it's been fun. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. He's grown into it. Um, yep. I'm still curious about this offshore wind thing. I don't know why, I guess, because I just really <laughs> haven't had exposure into what that looks like. Do you do site visits? Do you go offshore and like check stuff out? Or how does a yeah. what does an offshore wind project yeah. look like? Not yet. There are about 18 offshore wind wind farm projects that are currently in, under development. They're in various stages of development. We have two offshore wind farms currently in operation, one in state waters off of Block Island in Rhode Island. And that's five turbines that provide power to the residents of Block Island. Uh, that's in state waters. And then the first offshore wind project in the U.S. and federal waters just came online a few months ago off the coast of Virginia, North Carolina. And that's two turbines, but they're research turbines. They're not commercial scale mm-hmm. uh, project. So the process, you know, the industry is just really, really starting up. And it's a long process. I think the process will get shorter as we start to figure things out because, you know, aside from oil and gas, which is big in the Gulf of Mexico, there hasn't been a whole lot of offshore development in the Northeast. 
And the federal agency and the state agencies and the developers are trying to figure out how to make this work. So, Laura, to answer your original question, we don't do any site visits at this point. Some people are out there, mm-hmm. but there's really no construction going on yet. Okay. Um, yeah. There is a lot of there's a lot of site survey work though. So there are boats out there that are doing you know side scan sonar and, yeah. and bathymetry work and taking grabs from the bottom and sediment cores and trying to figure out what sort of aquatic habitats are there, but also what does the seafloor geology look like? And are they going to be able to drive these big piles into the seabed and have them right. have them stand, be supported? Yeah. How deep are these waters? They're on the outer continental shelf. And the deepest most of these projects are at this point is maybe 100 feet. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So fairly shallow. Okay. That's I mean, neat. I'm excited yeah. to hear how this goes. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, that's, it's incredible because like you talk about site locations and I just figure... You just drive out to the ocean, go, I get, this looks good. We're good. Just, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't see right. any land. So why not here? So it's good to know right. <laughs> there's a real process. We're trying to find those spots. So. Well, they do meteorological studies as well to figure out where the wind blows, you know, where they have the most sustained winds and the strongest winds, because that's, you know, that's where you generate your power. Right. And if you don't have good sustained winds of high enough speeds, you just can't produce the power to make the project feasible. Cool. Well, I have about a million questions I can I know. ask. About that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you'll never leave if we keep going. Yeah. Yeah. But you've, you've got to have a good, like a really good field story, right? You've been out in the swamp pretty much. Uh, is, there's got to be something, maybe like a memorable story, uh, a crazy story, something that happened to you out in the field. Yeah. Which, which one do I pick? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so there's some good stories about, you know, we would spend a week, week and a half on a houseboat down in the Everglades doing fish sampling in, in the mangroves and along the edge of the mangroves on the Shark River. And there's some good stories from that. But the one that really comes to mind was earlier than that. And actually, probably two or three years into my career, I was working for the state of Florida as a fish biologist and out there pulling nets and, and counting fish. And we went out one morning and this was, you know, we were on the water probably three days a week and three weeks out of every month. So we were out there all the time. And it got to be, it just got to be routine. You know, you go out yeah. and you do the job and, you know, you don't see mm-hmm. anything out of the ordinary. One morning we had gone out, it was kind of an overcast, kind of gray morning. And, you know, the thunderstorms in Florida are typically in the afternoon, you get the, that three o'clock thunderstorm and it passes and it's gone. But this was one of those mornings where it was gray and humid. And, and we went out, we got on the water and everything. And we went out on our boat, drove to our first site, and we're getting ready to set our net. And I'm standing up on the platform on this boat, holding on to the metal wheel. And one of the other people on the boat points at my arm and they say, "You're the hair is standing up on your arm. And I looked in <gasps> and it was like I was touching one of those globes at the science museum where your hair is just standing straight up. And I, I freaked out and everybody just jumped off the boat. We were motoring pretty slowly because oh. it was really shallow. Yeah. And they jumped off the boat. And they were like, they were trying to get as low as possible. And I'm standing up on this platform holding a metal steering wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, oh my gosh. I jumped, yeah, I jumped off the boat into the water and forgot to put the boat in, in neutral. No. So the boat's still motoring forward and we're like <laughs> slogging along next to it. And, and the mud is knee deep and we're up to our waist in water. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so I reach up and I, I put the boat in neutral and we pull the anchor out and we throw that. And we, you know, it, we're like a hundred yards from shore. So we're, we're pretty far out. And we're certain that we're about to get struck by lightning. Yeah. Um, and we're just slogging through the mud and we finally get to shore. And as soon as we get under the mangroves, everybody's hair goes down. And mm-hmm. so we're like, we're like, all right, maybe, you know, maybe we're in the clear. So we stood there and we're kind of in shock and yeah. no pun intended. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but, but we're like, what are we going to do? You know, it's not safe to go back out to the yeah, boat. Who's going to be the first so, person to go out there? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And I don't remember how long we stayed under the mangroves. It might have been half an hour to an hour. But every time we, we started walking out across the water again, our hair would stand up. Oh, um, never had that happen. And oh, man, it's freaky. I haven't yeah. had it happen since. But whenever I go outside and I know there's a thunderstorm, if I hear thunder, I always look at the hair on my arm. I don't know how much time I actually have from the time I know standing up until I get hit by lightning. Hey, that's neat. Yeah. Poof. Yeah. That's awesome that yeah. you had witnesses. I know yeah. sometimes in the field you do something crazy will happen and no one's there and it's like did that actually happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't believe you. No, I, no, really, my hair. Was I, I don't up. know. Yeah, right, dude. <laughs> and I don't know that we've talked about it since that day, but uh, no, it definitely happened. <laughs> that is wild. That is a wild story. It is wild. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, jeez. I don't. I mean, I don't even know how to transition from that. But uh, like one of the. <laughs> so we know that you know there's a big transition happening. Speaking of transitions. The administration, right? So the, the changes to environmental regulations, they are coming. It is something that we are going right. to talk about more and more on the show. It's a little early, but is that when energy going to become a bigger and bigger part of what you guys do? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And we knew coming into this new administration that there was going to be a lot more support for renewable energy in general, but specifically offshore wind. And, you know, President Biden just announced he was planning to double the amount of offshore wind, which is great. So. Yeah, I think this administration and the current climate that we're in now is definitely favorable to, you know, the, the burgeoning offshore wind industry. And it's it's just going to continue to grow. It's we've been involved at AKRF, have been involved with offshore wind clients since late twenty seventeen. And just every year it seems to grow even more and more and, and progress further and further. And I think we're really on the industry is on the verge of taking off if we haven't already passed that point. But I, I think we are kind of past that point of no return. A lot of the coal plants are shutting down, uh, mm-hmm. so we're not getting our, our energy from those. Natural gas is cheaper, so that's you know our primary source of power. But as we get these wind farms built, as we get the onshore wind and, and solar projects built, I think that's really the direction that we're heading. And this year is the start of that, I think. It's exciting. I think you're in the right, right yeah. position to be right in the front of that. That's really cool. Yeah. It's an exciting, right. exciting time to be a consultant and, yeah. and work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Before we jump off, I got to ask you some stuff about your hobbies, including <laughs> uh, this little farm you seem to be growing at your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So apparently I enjoy building things. I didn't uh, ever realize that. I never considered myself a, a builder, uh, somebody that built things with wood and screws and stuff like that. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so my wife and kids about three years ago decided they wanted to get chickens. And so we, we ordered a dozen little yellow chicks uh, from a, a place online, and they sent us the next day a, a cardboard box full of little chicks. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <so laughs> yeah. Did you get chickens and, or were they all roosters? So we paid a little extra for them to be sexed so that we didn't get <laughs> okay. roosters, but we yeah, ended up, right. we ended up getting two roosters anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I had some friends do that oh, and yeah, all they got yeah. was roosters and it was a nightmare. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. Oh no. That, yeah. That's terrible. No. So we, we have eight hens at this point. The roosters went to live at the farm down the road and that's not a euphemism <laughs> that there's a farm behind the house. So, you know, for the first couple of weeks, we had them in the garage in a, in a crate with the heat lamp. And so I knew at that point I needed to build a coop because they couldn't live in the garage forever. 
Um, <laughs> so we, we, we found some plans, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and they make a mess, but not as, not as big of a mess as the ducks do. And I, I'll tell you about that in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, you know, we found some plans, we got all the materials and stuff. And my brother-in-law came over one weekend and, you know, helped me get started on this thing. It took me about a month and I worked on it, you know, every weekend, uh, and sometimes after work, uh, got this thing built. And then maybe, maybe a year, uh, two years after that, my wife said she wanted goats. Uh, and you can't have, you can't have just one goat cause it, yeah. it would get lonely. <laughs> right, so you right, have to course, have two yes. goats. goats yes. <laughs> right. So we got two baby goats and they yeah, needed a place pig, to live too. They ones can't live. Full-size ones? I don't think they're pygmy. I think they're dwarf, but yeah, they are smaller. Yeah. Okay. The, they're, they're still good size though, but not full-size goats. Right. So they can't live in a chicken coop. So I needed to build something <laughs> there. So I found again, yeah, yeah. found uh, some plans for a goat shed, built a goat shed behind the chicken coop. And then most recently, I think maybe the kids were out at the farm store getting chicken feed and <laughs> came, came home with some ducks. And again, you can't have just one duck. So they were going to get two ducks, but they were swindled into taking a third blind duck for free. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we built a duck hutch for the ducks. And now we've got three kind of outbuildings out in the back. And thankfully, we've, we've got woods in the back and plenty of space to put these animals. Yeah. Uh, so we got our, our format. But building is, I mean, it's not really a chore. It, it kind of feels like it at first. But once I get into it and, you know, I'm spending hours out there cutting and, and screwing things and, you know, it, it's really kind of cathartic. And, you know, it's like, I just forget about everything. And I just, I'm concentrating on what I'm doing. It's almost like, yeah. like I'm meditating. Yeah. Uh, don't have to think about work and yeah, it's, but, yeah. but again, it's, it's not something that I ever, I never really consider myself a builder, but I do really enjoy doing it. <laughs> Great. Cool. So, we'll yeah, have to start next, getting more animals. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say, it's, uh, cows. Oh, cows. it's cows, isn't it? It's going to be. Cows are too big. Cows are too big. Yeah. Maybe alpacas. My son is always wanting alpacas. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't just get one, apparently, as we've learned no, from you. So no, really, you can't just get one alpaca. They're very social. You, you have to yeah, get two. So there you go. See, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and now I hear our podcast chiming in here. Yeah, there we oh, go. There yeah. is. He's like, you need cats, right? You need a barn yeah, you cat? You need a barn cats, cat yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife can find one for you. Don't don't worry. If you need a cat, she's got you. Yeah. <laughs> And the last question I had for you was, um, I saw this on your Facebook page, that peach habanero wheat beer that you had. Oh, yeah. Um, so a uh, friend of mine actually... <laughs> I'm missing my craft fruits right now. <laughs> peach, it's a peach jalapeno, jalapeno. Uh, wheat. Okay, that's less... Yeah. yeah. It's a very easy drinking beer. And the pepper, the jalapeno is not at all spicy. There's like oh. maybe maybe a couple of sips. I got a tiny little bit of spice, but you get like that that really fresh green sort of peppery pepper flavor mm-hmm. with okay. the peach. Uh, it's by a, a local brewery who I'm going to plug. They're called Pipe Beside Brewing. Um, Is that in, in Maryland? Ham- they're in Hampstead, Maryland. Yep. Okay. They're just getting started. They make great beer. They're very creative, very inventive, and, and they like to try different recipes. That's one of them. And everybody's been asking about that. But it's, it's a great beer. <laughs> Love it. I can't wait to try it. Nick, do you have any other questions before we sign off today? Justin, you've been great. I just maybe take a second and let people know where they can find you, how they can reach you and anything else you want to say before we sign off. Sure. No, if you want to get in touch, I'm active on LinkedIn. You can go to my LinkedIn page. You can also get in touch with me through a Care Ups webpage. 
akrf.com. We actually just launched a new website recently and it looks really good. So check that out if you're interested. It does actually. I did look at it. It looks really cool. I oh, was cool. like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's a website. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was awesome to catch up with you and have this conversation. Yeah, it really was. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Nick. It was great to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you too. That's our show. Thanks so much, Justin, for joining us today. I cannot wait to be able to hang out in person. Yeah. It was really great to hear about everything that you're up to and kind of visualize your life on the mini farm there. (laughs) Right, right. Be sure to check us out next Friday and every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll catch you next time. See you, everybody.